0: Explore as much as we can in 50 minutes the mercy of God, um, if you will, turn to Psalm 103 because we're going to examine this. It's kind of our introductory passage. But just by way of reminder, because we are all in need of, of being reminded from time to time that as we, as we consider and study God's attributes, we, we need to see them in their perfect unity, in, in their harmony as as it is with his essence, as it is with his being. And even though we look at these attributes singularly, uniquely, separately, they're all still one in his essence and being. It's, it's like if you look at any type of tree, there are multiple individual branches, but they're all of one type. They're all a cedar tree. They're all an oak tree. They're all a pecan tree. Such are the attributes of God, all united and in harmony. So... To begin, the mercy of God. Anyone want to venture, offer a definition of mercy? No one? Uh, (laughs) Not getting what we deserve? That's good. Yep. Anyone else? Part part of that there. No, you're on, you're on the right track. You, you're you're bringing in another attribute, but that's that's showing how they are united. Right, right. From a from a, a dictionary standpoint, we're going to define it further as we go through this from scripture. That's going to be our main source. But like you said, it's an act of not administering judgment and punishment when that justice requires punishment due to a law being violated, or, or as Jonathan was alluding to, a demonstrated compassion or forgiveness performed from a desire or a standpoint to relieve suffering. So we see in that pity, you know. So in Psalm 103, we're going to read verses 6 to 14. I'm going to read them. I'm going to read intentionally out of the New King James Version, I'm not bringing any anything new into the body. Don't worry. <laughs> but I want what I want to do in this is to not only give us insight into the different word usage for mercy, but also in this particular passage, verses six to fourteen, we really get a a comprehensive picture of the mercy of God. Since we are in Sunday seminary class, particularly toward believers. 103, 6 to 14. Yep. So follow along. I'm going to read, like I said, New King James. Pastor, I'm not bringing anything new. I'm just... <laughs> no no fear here. <laughs> Amen. Same here. But as you read, just notice the comparison. So verse 6, the Lord says, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Did you notice the difference in the word used there? Quite a few, yeah. So we find... In the Old Testament, first we find my marker. It's all right. I got another one. Came prepared. (laughs) We're going to find in the Old Testament some words used specifically, and I'll give you the definition as we go through them. Pastor, feel free to help me with my pronunciation. Racham, Racham, it's a deep and tender compassion. Okay, we have Chesed, Chesed, thank you, Chesed, no C, Chesed, no, no C, got it, no wonder you asked me to you. amen. Amen. Goodness, kindness, loving kindness, and kanan, which is favor. Yeah, that one's different. That's actually a KH, kanan. In the New Testament, we have eleos. And L A O Eo, Mercy, Compassion, Pity. And also Oik Termas. I'll write this better so you can read it. which is pity. Okay, so we see another, see the wide range of word uses, descriptions for the mercy of God. And it's interesting that that racham is a mercy, a tender mercy that comes from the bowels, comes from the heart. It's not just a fleeting feeling or emotion, but something from from within. And this mercy of God, as we've been going through, is is another one of his communicable attributes to us in its relationship with its creation, with the creatures that he has made. And mercy is seen as a a specific or deeper aspect of God's goodness. If you remember when we went through goodness, we looked at there were several other kind of sub-attributes, but there's still unique attributes in goodness like love and patience. And with all of his attributes, and with mercy too, and we're going to look at this in greater detail later on, it is eternal. It, it is immutable. It is never changing. And Remember that too, is that it is eternal. Even though it will be fulfilled for the believer in eternity, our fulfillment will come when we're with Christ in heaven, where mercy will be fulfilled. It will still go on in eternity. Psalm 119, 64 And verse 156 both give us some further insights into God's mercy. It is vast. It fills the entire earth. It is great. Great are your mercies, O Lord. And in Psalm 33, 5, it says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness, or again, the mercy of the Lord. God's mercy is an overflowing mercy. It is plenteous in its infinitude. It is abundant to all who call upon him, as we just read in Psalm 103. And also in Psalm eighty-six five, that it is also abundant and plenteous. In Ephesians 2, it is rich. God is rich in his mercy to us. Psalm 136, I know you're all familiar with this. We have 26 times that the psalmist calls us to remembrance and thanks to the Lord for His this adorable attribute of his everlasting loving kindness toward us. This is the result and the effect of God's goodness to us. God's mercies are for us, especially as believers, to be remembered to be praised, to be thanked, to be appropriated into our lives, because they are they are given to us, they are dispensed to us out of the vastness of of God's treasury of His goodness. Verse Second Corinthians one three says, "He is the Father of mercies to His children. They are His artistic working of His wisdom, and they're made effective to us." in and by the righteousness and his right arm of power, just like we sang. There was a reason I picked that hymn. I, it kind of surprised me last night as I was finishing up, thinking of a hymn and see, to see how each of those stanzas are going to flow in the rest of the study here. So the the greatness of the goodness of God is nothing else but his mercy. As this is what we can understand from Scripture as his what I tried to describe as as his innate propensity or his righteous natural tendency to pity and to support those who are in great need, who are in great hardship, who are in great distress. Has anyone here been in that condition of great need? Amen. Just how vast are the mercies of God? Let me offer some, some aspects or kind of specific Aspects of his mercy before we go into, I want to get into the qualifications of his mercy and the workings of his mercy. Preventing mercy, sparing mercy, supplying mercy, guiding mercy, accepting mercy, healing mercy, quickening mercy, supporting mercy, forgiving mercy, everlasting mercy, filling mercy, grounding mercy, correcting mercy, comforting mercy delivering mercy, and crowning mercy, ultimately. So, I want to start examining God's mercy by looking at two great overriding characteristics of his mercy, of his compassion, of his loving kindness, as we see all these different word usage, and his pity for the believer to take note of and to take to heart. First is that, It is such an integral part of his nature, of his essence and his being. God's mercy is an integral part of his nature and his essence and being. And second, that his mercies, his loving kindnesses will never fail. Never fail. Turn to, someone turn to Deuteronomy 4. These are the two verses to to back this up. Deuteronomy 4. Thirty-one, and someone else turned to Lamentations three, Deuteronomy four thirty-one. You have that, brother? Since for the Lord your God is a compassionate God, and He will not fail, He will not fail you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which He swore to them. So out of His. Person, his being, his essence, mercy is founded. It is ushered forth and shown in his covenants, which we're going to get into in more detail later. I'm trying to build and dive deep here, so we're starting the top and working down. Lamentations 3, anybody have that? Not, I'll read it real quick. You very familiar verses, I know. Lamentations 3, 21 to 23. This I recall to my mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Mercy, we can say, is God's relieving love. What Jonathan went, what he was pointing out. Poured out upon man in deep misery, in deep distress. And while this distress or this affliction is is spiritually rooted in the soul, there are times of physical consequences. But it is also God's mercy that relieves both the soul, and in that relief there may come physical reprieve or healing. So based on these two overarching aspects of God's mercy, let's look at three further deeper distinct aspects of his mercy we find in the scriptures. First, God's mercy is free in a sense that it is a general mercy, okay? It is over all things. This mercy extends to all men, saved and unsaved, plants, animals, all of his creation, all the extents. And in this, we can see an omnipresent aspect of God's mercy. Psalm 145, 9 the Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. One forty-five 145, nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Acts seventeen twenty-four to twenty-five says, "The God who made the world and all things in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He served by human hands, although He needed, as though He needed anything." since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So as the creature, if we would attempt to raise up any merit of our own, we basically destroy mercy. And anything in the created order, should it try to raise up its own worth or demand or deserve mercy, it would destroy the aspects of God's mercy. So first we have a general mercy over all creation, all created, beings, all nature. Second, we have a common mercy of God, okay? And this is specifically exercised upon the children of men in all manner of help and support in spite of their sins. So believers and unbelievers share in this common mercy. Someone want to turn to Matthew five forty five. And someone else turn to Luke six thirty five. Matthew five, forty five. Anybody have that? Cameron? so God's carrying his mercy is dispensed upon all creation good and unjust even in their need even in their sin Luke 6:35 God brother it says but love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil Yeah God shows his kindness to the good and the evil In his common mercy is by way of these verses and others as temporal in nature. Just as the sun and rain are temporary in their existence as means of of purpose in sustaining the duration of this planet, so are these mercies toward the wicked, toward the sinners, unless they repent and believe. Yes, brother? General is over all creation. Men, women, children, plants, animals, every aspect, everything that God has spoken into existence. Common is directly toward believers and unbelievers, showing that his mercy is extended to the evil as well as to the good, specifically men, women, and children. Okay? For in this time, the mercy of God stays or constrains that speedy execution of God's justice upon sinners and upon the wicked. There will be no mercy extended to them beyond the grave. We see this in Isaiah twenty-seven eleven. It says, For they are not a people of discernment. Therefore, their maker will not have compassion on them, and their creator will not be gracious to them. They will be, as Isaiah goes on to further describe, they'll be like the dried-up limbs. They'll be broken off and made for a fire. Okay, so we have the general mercy, the common mercy, and now we're going to look at the third aspect of the sovereign mercy of God. And as you can rightly guess, this is specifically for the child of God, reserved for those who are heirs of salvation in Christ, a mercy that's exercised upon God's elect only through what he's given as covenantal promises, which is, of course, through our mediator, Christ Jesus. Where do we see this covenant mercy first described and brought forth? Give me a hint. Exodus? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exodus 34. Yeah. Just after the... Children of Israel had rebelled, created the golden calf. The two tablets of the law had to be replaced. And the covenant is renewed, a covenant that is full of mercy. It says in Exodus 34:6 that the Lord passed by in front of him, in front of Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. And then further on, too, later on, after the exile, when God's renewing the people to the land, he renews his covenant of mercies to his own. In Nehemiah 1.5, it says, I beseech you, O Lord God of heaven, the great awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. So we see this now under the new covenant, specifically, in and through the work of Christ. For he alone has become our guarantee of a greater covenant, a better covenant, according to Hebrews 7.22. But I want to bring even some further distinction between the common mercy shown to all men and the sovereign mercy to the children of God. If there is no mercy extended beyond the grave to the unregenerate, how does this relate to what Psalm 136:1 one says that God's mercy endures forever and this mercy is the quality of his divine essence That's in regard to his people? Right. But how how does this relate to the unregenerate if his mercy is is, is on forever? Not yet, we're getting there. <laughs> right right it it is what i'm what i'm getting to is that the exercise of his mercy is solely governed by his sovereign will and you guys i know you know the two verses where i'm going with this exodus 33:10 and romans 9:15 i will make my i myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the lord before you i will be gracious or merciful to whom i will be gracious and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Remember, there's, there's nothing outside of God himself which obliges God, which forces him, which coerces him to act. For there's nothing outside of him greater than him. If there was something outside that caused God to dispense his mercy, to coerce his mercy, God would not be supreme whatever is coercing him would become supreme in directing God and dispensing his mercy. So it's exclusively up to the will of God. It is pure sovereign grace alone that God determines the exercise of his mercy upon the elect. And as I said, we saw that clearly in in Exodus 33.10 and Romans 9.15. Well, let me ask you this. Is Is it the wretchedness of the creature... Of any man, woman and child that would cause God to have mercy. No, because God can't be influenced or affected by anything outside himself. And and if he were if that were the effect to cause his mercy, would he not have to save everyone? Because we are all in desperate, despicable, leprous sinners? Wouldn't that require His pity? Is that a, called impassibility? Yeah. yeah. And why does He not do this? Because it's not His purpose. It's not His pleasure. It's not His will. If that doesn't humble your heart, I don't know <laughs> what the reality that will do. So, can any any merits in His creatures? Any, any works of their own, even, even their own will, be found worthy of God's mercy. Nothing. E- even less will the merits of any of his creatures cause God to bestow mercy on them. Because it would then be a contradiction of terms for, what does it say in Titus 3, 5? He saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we've done, even in righteousness, but according to his mercy alone by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Let's go further. Pardon? Oh, I thought I I I had another verse. Yeah, exactly. Yep. What about the merits of Christ? Does this move God to bestow mercy on his elect? hang on, if if God would do this, wouldn't he be substituting the effect for the cause? What was the order of God's decree for salvation? It was first because of God's tender mercies in eternity past that he sent Christ in to die for us. Okay? In the decreed order so that The merits of Christ alone make it the only means possible for God to righteously grant to intentionally impart spiritual mercies on his elect. Not trying to trick you up here, but just thinking through this, even the merits of Christ was not to bestow mercy. But he came because the mercy had been bestowed upon us. He came to fulfill and carry out that merciful mercy. Placement on his elect. What you got, brother? That's good. No. <laughs> this was accomplished because justice was fully satisfied by the surety acting on our behalf. God's mercy was fully accomplished. His mercy arises only from His majestic pleasure, from His sovereign will. So you're saying the mercy of God triggered. He saw from eternity past, before you were even born and existed, before the Spirit hovered above nothing. I will have mercy on him, her, you. And in order to fulfill that mercy, to carry out that pity, to bring salvation to my child, Christ was sent forth. Am I going too deep here, brother? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not trying to peer deeper into the redemptive covenant, but you know, it's just that that reality is yeah. no so I just to share regards to what you're saying, I'm sure. sure that you are saying Okay. So, um, so I'm in first Timothy one, starting right at verse twelve. Um, where Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer Persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Yep. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, through only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You're right on track. You're, you're actually getting to the verses I'm going to get to, but yeah, that's it. That it, that it was God's mercy set upon Paul and fulfilled in Christ coming to reveal. God's mercy to him in calling him, yeah, chief of sinners. Yes, brother. Yeah, I was thinking of like Ephesians 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, really like 3 14, essentially, where we see, you know, God the Father is like the initiator. And then it's through Christ or in him that these blessings. It's fulfilled, yeah, brought, brought to fruition, brought to reality, yep. Uh-huh. He, did, he did not decree that apart from Christ right right all in harmony in the of yeah the mercy of god was decreed in conjunction with Christ with that in mind yeah exactly. absolutely the verse that, um, that
1: brother Brian mentioned there Ephesians chapter 1
0: yeah every spiritual blessing is in Christ amen in amen, amen. Right? So Yep. Right. In terms of decrees, like well, first God decreed mercy, then he decreed Christ. Then he thought about you know, that. Yeah. It's more helpful to think of it logically as, as if without Christ we don't have the mercy right. of God. Like, right? We can never receive or God never grants mercy to anyone that he does not join with Christ. Christ Right. In union with Christ, in eternity past You know, like what's known as the conceptual union with Christ. Amen. Therefore, He has mercy upon us. Amen. Yep. And yes, then He sends forth His Son to fulfill that mercy. End of time. Yeah. I'm I'm getting there. I'm just slow getting there. <laughs> those those are actually my my closing thoughts. Those two verses. So that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> so now, even further distinguishing characteristics. When we consider the objects to whom God's mercy is bestowed, as Trish mentioned, let's consider the reprobate who after facing the judgment of God is called into the lake of fire. Is this an act of mercy? For the reprobate to be judged and sent into eternal fire and punishment, is this an act of mercy? Right. First and foremost, it's an act of God's justice and holy vindication of, of his honor and his glory. God's ne- mercy is never found to be intolerant or, or injurious or damaging to his holiness or his righteousness. Secondly, from the perspective of the reprobate, it's an act of fairness, of equity, because he's receiving his just rewards. He's judged according to his iniquities and judgment as fit appropriately to his sin. And a... Righteous suffering is brought upon him, and then third, from the from the aspect or perspective of the redeemed, it will be an indescribable act of mercy for us. Um, David, in his pleading with God in psalm one forty three it says, "And in your loving kindness, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul, for I am your servant you know this is this is David pleading for God to carry out his judgment so that he would receive mercy and ultimately that vindication of the sins against God's servant. God overthrew Pharaoh and his army. In Psalm one thirty six fifteen, they sing about how his Pharaoh and his army were thrown into the Red Sea because God's mercy, his loving kindness is everlasting. It was extended to the nation of Israel in vindication for his covenant people. Without this merciful act of God's righteous judgment, heaven would not be heaven. The new Jerusalem cannot and will not be anything filled, is what's described in Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven. Nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is where mercy will be fulfilled and righteous judgment, vindication for God's elect. This will be a glorious time. So if anyone should ask, why doesn't God take action now? Why doesn't he bring judgment on the unrighteous sinner? In many ways, he he is around us. We see judgment occurring around us every day. But it's not because he cannot do anything or he's lost his omnipotence but it is still because of his mercy today. His mercy is still active. He will not clear the guilty, but we see throughout Scripture that God is more represented to be merciful to all. Second Peter 3, 9, God's mercy is demonstrated in what some people consider God's slowness in his promise and fulfilling or his acting. But it says he's not slow about this, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Amen. So what should be our response? What should be our attitude? How should our, should our lives and our walk in Christ be affected when we consider the great mercy of God? Great in its essence, in its source. Brother, you're reading my notes. In its granting. Yes, it's humility It is being bowed down in our heart, in our attitude, in our consideration for one another as as we have received mercy. How should we dispense that like mercy to one another in preferring one another and caring for one another? Hosea 14 gives a glorious insight into this. He says in verses three and four showing us the Father's mercy, his love for the repentant sinner and for the the penitent child. It says, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. For in you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. This is God's word to the elect, to His children, to His loved ones, and it is to empty ourselves of our 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 opinions and our attitudes of self worthiness, so that we can be filled with what's called by some of the Puritans the golden oil of the mercy of God, would fill our hearts, would fill our minds, our lives. What else? Should we seek this mercy from God? Should we cry out as regenerate believers who are walking in the Spirit? Should we still cry out for the mercy of God? Amen. Amen. Not only only to know or to share the common mercy that we talked about, but to cry out like David does, Have mercy upon me, O God. That salvific mercy, that choicest mercy from the Lord of Heavens, that mercy and that rich loving kindness that speaks of that mercy that speaks to us of, of, as God's elected love for our souls and to pray for that mercy that God would bestow the treasures of his mercy in us and to know and discover these treasure through praying for these mercies. Without this prayer, we must come to Christ before us as the Puritans say or with this prayer in coming to God for his mercies. Come, as the Puritans talk about, to bring Christ in your arms, you know, to go in his name, in his merits, in, in the preciousness of his blood that he paid the price for our pardon, to show us that mercy that Christ purchased that we may be, may be for his satisfaction and our good. Because it's through, just like Lamentations talks about, seeking, praying for, expecting, and living in those daily mercies of God that are new every morning that are bestowed on our hearts as we, as we strive to keep ourselves in the love of God as we abide in Christ in, in remembrance of his merciful work on our behalf and to desire that spirit's life within us to walk in that manner worthy of our calling worthy of pleasing the father so in this final thought let me ask you who do we know of who did not receive mercy but fully demonstrated it? Well, I was thinking of Christ. That's true. I was thinking of Christ. What was poured out on him at the cross? Was there any mercy shown on the cross? No. Not upon Christ, for we see him bearing out the full and just sentence of the sinner the physical death, the spiritual death, the spiritual destruction punished so fiercely in facing the wrath of his father. He was punished consciously for sin done in conscious rebellion against God. He was facing that eternal measure of wrath for our sins against an eternal being. And and on that gruesome cross, he faced the justice and the full torment of hell on behalf of those who would be the full beneficiaries of God's mercy. And this is where we find it in Christ. Where the sinless one serves out the sentence of the sinner in full and perfect exchange of wrath for righteousness, of punishment for mercy, of death for life. And one final stanza. When all thy mercies Oh, my God, my rising soul surveys, transported with a view I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise for God's mercies. Any questions, any other thoughts?